0: I've just stopped short of psychologist. (laughs) In in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But Dr. Cloud is, and he has given us permission to teach directly from his research and from his experience. Now, in week one, we talked about how if you have a belly button, you're part of the Adams family. Don't do it. I did. (laughs) Too late. You you, you thought in your head, right? You're part of the Adams family, not Adams with two Ms, but actually you are descendants. Go ahead. You are descendants from Adam, and because you're descendants from Adam, you're like me. You're messed up, you know, and, and if you have a belly button, you come from a dysfunctional family, the Adams family. But if you're a Christ follower, if at some point in your life you have said, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you did what you said you do, and I'm going to make you the boss of my life. I'm, Jesus, take the wheel. Uh? <laughs> yeah, I know. I got tired of that song at Walmart, too. But you're now part of a new family. You're part of a new body. You're part of the body of Christ. And when all of the body parts are connected together, the body, under the direction of Jesus at its head, is actually able to heal itself. Healing emotionally. And then in week two, we kind of built on that foundation. We added another step, and we said that last week, you know, it's not just enough to be connected to the body, to be able to experience that emotional healing that the body can produce, the body of Christ can produce. It's not just enough to be connected. We also have to be willing to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to admit, yeah, we've got some specific emotional needs that we're dealing with, and we have to find ourselves in a need state, right? Because if we don't ever get to that point, we're going to hide. And we're going to really disconnect from everybody else. We're going to find ourselves disconnected. And today, we're going to add another brick in the wall. That's three song references in the intro. I don't know wow. if anybody caught the Pink Floyd <laughs> reference. Wow, right? That's a first. But we're going to add another brick in this wall. Um, we're going to talk about something that I feel pretty confident all of us either are dealing with or have deal, dealt with or will deal with at some point in our life. Big part of it. And that's boundaries.
1: Yeah, and we know during this series, we've talked about some things that we know are emotional healing items. Some of those are actually clinical items. Many of us, I have been at a clinical state for me, dealing with depression, so some of the cl- clinical areas, depression, anxiety, could be also addictive areas, dealing with uh, family, marriage, relationships with children, relatives, uh, friends, even coworkers. And then a third area would be, we would, could kind of call like a performance area. That would be the feelings that I get sometimes that maybe you get where we say, I'm not good enough. Or we repeat to ourselves, I'm a failure, I'm stupid, I'm an idiot. I've said all of those things to myself. Now, what we're learning as we are learning from Dr. Cloud is that those are problems, yes. But they aren't the problem. There's actually a word we could use for those. That's called symptoms. Because underlying all of these issues that some of which you have faced, some I have faced, underlying those... um, could be what we talked about last yeah. week, Cole, a lack of connection. But underlying those might be what we're talking about today. It could be an issue of boundaries. You,
0: you go to the doctor. You go to the doctor, and you walk in, and he or she is going to say, what, what, what brought you here? What's wrong? Right? They're going to ask what's wrong, and, and we're going to tell them what's wrong. Well, I've got a pain over here. I'm, I'm dealing with this problem over here. I'm struggling. I'm running fever. Whatever it is, and we're going to let them know what's going on. And the doctor is going to hear those things, and he or she is going to immediately think those are your symptoms, right? Those are the symptoms. Those, those are the things that are happening as a result of something else. Now, the Bible actually has a word for that. The Bible has a word for symptoms, and that word is fruit. The Bible's word for symptoms, what we might think of as symptoms when we go to a doctor, is fruit. It's just the result. The result of. The big question, I think, is the result of what? Yeah. See, the symptom is not the problem. We go to the doctor. The, it may feel like it's the problem, but the symptoms not the problem. Same way in my life, the fruit is not the cause. The fruit's just the result. Symptoms are painful. They can be painful, right? I mean, those of you that have uh, been to the doctor recently or maybe something big in your life has happened, you, you know, symptoms can be very painful, but they're not the cause of the problem. For, to, to really understand the cause of the problem, we have to get to the tree in our life. The tree is what's producing the fruit. Now, like we talked about last week, the tree could very well right I think it was in week one. We talked about in week one how the tree could very well just be disconnected and not taking in the nutrients that it needs. And we talked about in week one how that's relationship, connection and love. The tree just may not be taking in what it needs. But there could be another problem. It could be a problem where for some of us, we grew up with so much connection that we don't have air to breathe because we haven't developed healthy boundaries. We never developed healthy boundaries. See, connection is about you and I being one. That's connection. But boundaries are about us being one but apart from the one that we're connected to. Yeah,
1: so we're going to use the whiteboard a couple times this morning. Uh, I am not a great artist. I'm just, I just look like one. <laughs> I may not even look like but one. I don't jeans. know. That was
0: good. That was good. Okay, so for that.
1: here is a baby. All right, there's a baby. Nice little baby. Yeah, you can see it up there. There, there, There is a baby for us. Now, they come into this world big looking... Eat. big. Well, appropriate. I have an enormous cranium. Um, so they come into the world looking for connection. They want to connect. Who are they trying to connect with? They're trying to connect with this parent who has a more normal-sized head. They're trying to connect with this parent. Um, they are... They are just that's the direction this baby is headed to that parent. They want to connect. That's natural. It's normal. They desire that. Until until they become strong enough themselves, and I'm just gonna do away with this, and they do they do a U-turn and they begin to move away. And they are confident enough that they move this direction away instead of toward the parent. And that is normal. That is natural. It's God's perfect design. That's the way he has created us. That's the way he's created you and this little child here that we've created. That's God's desire and his design. They move away because they want to experience that autonomy, that freedom, that the, the separateness that they can experience separate from a parent. And in this ability, this is what that means as they begin to get separate from the parent. It means that, hey, if that's me, I have my own feelings and I have my own beliefs and I have my own talents and my own desires. And that is great. That is how it should be. That's the way God has designed it. But, but let's say this child has now grown and they're an adult. And we have another person here, all right? And let's say this person right here asks this person, they're like, hey, listen, I I, I need you to do this for me. Would you do blank, whatever it is? Would you do this for me? And what if this person right here says the magic boundaries word and they say, "Mm, no. No no
0: <laughs> yeah it's
1: what happens then
0: it, it could go one of two ways very, very quickly yeah. it really could if 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 the two people in the relationship are in a good relationship that both people they're following Jesus, and they actually kind of agree with what Jesus said, which was it's for freedom that I set you free, don't ever come under a yoke of slavery if if they're both kind of in that mold then it's probably going to be okay it's probably going to be okay it probably will not create a problem but if the person doesn't agree with what Jesus said and doesn't agree with that way of thinking you're going to hear something like this you're going to hear oh 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 okay i i okay so i guess you don't love me <laughs> Okay, okay. Or maybe this one. Because, I mean, hey, we're, we're we're getting close to the holidays here. So, I mean, you might hear this. Well, don't you care about this family? Don't you care about this family? Or maybe you just would hear something like, hey, I guess you just don't have time for me, buddy. You know, I mean, you, you, you guys all understand what I'm saying. We've all been there. We've all experienced that at some point. All because of that magic word, no. Now, we are to love, according to the New Covenant, we're to love and respect each other's yeses, but also we're to love and respect each other's no's. And in a lot of places, and I think the church, we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, I think the church has been guilty of this, in a lot of places to say no really has almost been compared to a sin. But Jesus actually said this, the words of Jesus were, let your yes be yes, And let your no be no. Anything in between that, anything else, is where the sin comes in. Many of us, and I'm going to say right now, I'm going to raise my hand and say, this is me. This one, completely authentic and transparent this morning. This one's me. For a lot of us, myself included, um, instead of saying no, we feel guilty about the freedom that we have in Christ. And so what do we do? We come up with excuses. We come up with explanations. And in some cases, this is me. Um, We say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that because, and we come up with, I'm going to be sick that day, right? Or we avoid it. We just avoid the situation altogether. We have fear about expressing our own thoughts and our own beliefs about something, and so we just don't.
1: Yeah. Well, Dr. Cloud is a master at this. Let me redraw another person here that I just erased. He is a master at this. This is going to be a tall person and skinny, skinny like me. (laughs) <laughs> and so um, here, here's here's uh, kind of how God puts this all together because he has a plan for this. Um, and in Dr. Cloud's uh, terminology, he calls it a boundary. And so what we're going to draw here around this fella is we are going to draw him a nice boundary. And, you know, this guy has one too. So let's extend this over here. They each have their own boundary, all right? And there's maybe some people up this way and this way and this way. It's just kind of like a property line. That's the way you can look at a boundary. It's a property line. So here's his property, and over here he has a neighbor, and here's his property. What have they always said? Makes a good neighbor good fences make good neighbors, right? Those are boundaries. Those are property lines. So a property line simply is a boundary that defines my space and your space, his space and his space. It defines who owns this space. This person is the owner of this space. This person is the owner of this space. Now there's many theological implications of this analogy. If they are the owner, if they're the owner of this space, then that means this, it, what's within this boundary, if you own it, that means you control that. That's what that means. If you are the owner and the controller, that means you are responsible for everything in that space. And it also means this, that you are free to do inside of that space whatever you choose to do. It's your freedom. Now, what if? What if my neighbor over here decides that my house should be purple. And so my neighbor jumps over here into my yard and begins to paint my house purple. There is a word to describe
0: that, Cole, and that word is um, trespassing. And it's probably a very familiar word. Probably a really, really familiar word. Because... um, it's in the Bible. Not only is it in the Bible, it's a really, really well-known part of the Bible where Jesus tells his followers, hey, this is how you pray. This is how you do it. This is, I'm going to make it simple for you. And Jesus said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive me when I cross the line. And help me to forgive those when they cross the line my line. See, that's what trespassing is. It's stepping over the boundary line. It's invading something that belongs to someone else, which in this case, for what we're talking about this morning, is our life, your life, and my life. Invading, crossing the boundary line. It's a violation of boundaries. See, the Bible says that we have been designed to have control, period. We've been designed to have control. Let's do this. And Harley and I are going to do this as well. Okay. Um, And and do this very socially distanced, if you don't mind, if you can, COVID free. And uh, look at your neighbor, turn to your neighbor, and say to them, you are a micromanager. I am a micromanager. (laughs) You You are are a a micromanager. micromanager. Guess what? You're right. You're right. Everybody in this room is a micromanager. We are all micromanagers because God created us to micromanage. We are designed by God to micromanage everything (laughs) about ourselves. Yes, that's that's the rub, right? Yeah, we're 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 created to micromanage everything about ourselves, about me, about my life. My that was a box, by the way, that you you have up there. My box boundary line.
1: Oh, yes. It's not a great property.
0: Rectangle. Not a great property.
1: It's kind of a coffin.
0: <laughs> but I was designed to micromanage everything about myself. God actually has a word for that. It's self-control. Self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit, in fact. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit It's self-control. Designed by God, and this is so cool. As a result of our freedom in Christ. I have the ability to have self-control. And I have the ability to micromanage my life. And to have control of my life. But, unfortunately, as a result of sin... As a result of the fall, we've kind of lost the ability to control ourselves. We've lost that ability. And now, as a result of that, because we're micromanagers by nature, we try to micromanage everything else. Mm. The fruit of the Spirit is not other control. It's that word, it's self-control.
1: This part really nailed me. Um, So, self-control. Self-control says that we have ownership over our lives inside what is in our property, our boundary lines. We have ownership of our lives, and it also means this, um, if we have ownership, then we also have responsibility. We are responsible for everything there. Let's just say, back over here to our folks, what would you say, Cole? Okay, I was standing right in front of, I was standing right in front of this guy, wasn't I? For those who missed that, he said, stand over here because I'm giving this shot here a lot of belly button. (laughs) I've got a boundary against that, I think. He just crossed a boundary. No, he didn't. So here we have, let's say this guy over here. Um, he's, he, this is his thing. He's got self-control. He is, uh, or he is. Let's use the word. He may not have self-control, but he is responsible. He's been called to micromanage everything inside of his boundary. That's what he's been called to do. Now, let's say that he is not really got it all under control. Let's say he's not taking responsibility for what's inside of his boundary. Maybe maybe he's an addict. I don't know. It could be something like this, though. Maybe maybe he has an anger problem. Maybe he has a controlling problem, and he tries to control other people, not himself. Let's go with anger. That's a good one. Maybe he has an anger problem. And so the Bible tells him, hey, listen, fella, you are to have self-control. And that's what you've been called to do. You're supposed to have it. But if you have this, uh, an addiction or an anger problem, let's say you're not in control and something happens here. We're going to draw an arrow right there. Wow. Okay, so we are now in the process of sending something to this other yard. This other boundary, this other, uh, this other, to someone else's place. It's spill, what's happening here is spilling over into this other yard. We're experiencing whatever we're experiencing, whatever's going on, whatever's happening is jumping that boundary and landing over here. And let's call those consequences for right now. This guy who has not is not having self control is is not being responsible for his own area is experiencing now because he has an anger problem consequences and he's sending them to another yard Things that should fall in his own within his own boundary if someone's an addict, they're not trying to destroy a family. That's what Dr. Cloud says. They're not trying to to hurt and harm a family if they have a current addiction. They're just trying to avoid the responsibility that is associated with all the decisions they're making. They're avoiding those responsibilities. That's what Dr. Cloud says. And as a result, The Bible has this thing called the law of the harvest. And here's what it says. What we plant, we will harvest. Unless. Unless we have people who are around us, like this person here. People who are around us who are willing to carry the load and carry the pain and carry the consequences of my anger problem, or my addiction. And if they're willing to carry the consequences, then there's a word for that. You may have heard it. It's called codependent. And as we read through the Bible, the Bible does not make any room for codependent behavior. So if I have an anger problem or this controlling problem, or trying to control everyone around me, the people around me and their lives, if I'm trying to control all of them, or if I'm addicted to something, or if I am abusive, then I'm stepping over into someone else's yard, but they are too nice or something to say no, Harley. No. I say no to that behavior. And if that's the case then the description is they're, they're what is called codependent.
0: Uh, Dr. Cloud actually says that research has discovered something very, very interesting about uh, addiction and, and about uh, about what we're talking about, which I want to be clear, I want to clarify... Uh, we think addiction, you hear the word addiction, your mind immediately goes drugs and alcohol, drugs and alcohol, drugs and alcohol. That's where our mind goes. But addiction right. can be so much bigger. Food. Food, absolutely. It can be so, it can be personal there. Yeah, it can I mean, be so much bigger. Oh, I wasn't talking about me. No, you're talking about me. You're micromanaging my <laughs> life right now. But it can be so much bigger than that. It's not just drugs and alcohol. I mean, addiction can be, is so, so much broader of a term. But researchers have actually discovered something interesting about um, addiction, and it's this you can't be addicted by yourself. You cannot be addicted alone. You need help. Uh, you can't continue to be out of control all by yourself. Someone is going to have to step in and take care of the kids while somebody else isn't being a parent. Right? It, that's just logical. Someone is going to have to call the boss when you don't show up. Again, they're going to have to take care of that, smooth it out, take care of it, step in, fill that gap. Someone is going to have to pay the bills keep the lights on and potted meat in the cabinet. (laughs) Yeah, potted meat, (laughs) that's some nasty stuff. But it's going to have to do that because of poor choices throughout the week or throughout the month that meant there's no money. We're out of money. We've got money problems. Somebody has to step in and fill that gap. In other words, someone had to do something to enable the addict to be an addict, an enabler. And that's what an enabler does. They enable what they do. Not just because they're nice and loving, maybe that's one of the reasons, but I've met some enablers who weren't always nice and loving. Maybe the enabler is actually dependent upon the approval of the addict. Or maybe the enabler is simply afraid to upset the addict. See, interesting thing. Researchers are not the ones that originally discovered this fact. Because the very first addictionologist was actually God. God told Moses about this. He told Moses to write this down in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 19.17. is what it says. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not, big word, share in his guilt. Share guilt. Because when we share guilt, That person has placed their consequences and the result of their decisions squarely in my backyard. They have crossed my boundary. They have crossed that property line. And the results and the consequences of what they chose to do by being an enabler is now it's a shared problem. It's a shared guilt. We let them do it. Leviticus 19.15 puts it like this. Um, Do not pervert justice. That word justice is really just doing what's right and requiring that right to be done. So it says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. See, the codependent is not the problem. A codependent's not the problem. But they're a part of the problem because they're making it easier for these decisions and these actions to go on. Now, some of you right now uh, watching us online or maybe in this room, you may be sitting there. You may be feeling a little bit of tension with some of this because you're thinking, or you're wanting to scream out, well, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to cut my child off? Is that what you're saying? Are you saying to cut them off and to just throw them to the wolves? They need me. They need me. Well, favoring the unhealthy kind of needy, that's kind of what that scripture in Leviticus is talking about. Or maybe maybe you're saying or you're thinking internally, look, can't stop what's going on. I can't stop being a codependent. I can't stop enabling because, man, this person is really significant. They're really important. They're great. They're powerful. Kind of like what Moses wrote in Leviticus. They're significant, and they're going to get mad at me, and that's going to cause a problem for me, whether it be personally, professionally, and we can go down the list, favoring the great and the powerful. When, When I'm codependent, when we are codependent, What we tend to do is over-identify with the weakness that that person has and then we we don't help them help that person by requiring them to get well. Or, this is the other alternative, we just don't confront them because we're afraid of what might happen.
1: Yeah. And that's not what we see Jesus doing in the New Testament, though. That's not what he did. Jesus would walk up to someone and say, do you want to get well? And then you know he would say something like, well, get up and do something. <laughs> that's, a, that's a paraphrase. <laughs> Dr. Cloud kind of describes what would happen in the hospital that he worked with. So someone who was very depressed would come in and they would be admitted late in the night. And they would come in, and they would really kind of sigh a great relief, saying, finally, someone is going to help me. And so they would lay down, and they'd go to sleep. And then just a few hours later, someone would come knocking on the door, and they would, be, they would rush in, and they'd say, come on, time to get up. Time to get going. Uh, here's your workbook, and here's your chore list for the week, and it's time to get up, and go eat, and fill this out, fill this paperwork out about your story because it's almost group time, and you're going to be sharing your story today, so you need to get up. Let's go. And inevitably, they would be like, "But, but wait, I'm I'm depressed." And the nurse would answer, "Yes, you, you're depressed, but we're not going to pervert justice here." We're going to help you, and in order for that to happen, you're going to have to be responsible to respond to what we are giving. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says this, Don't be misled, Paul says. You cannot mock the justice of God. Another word for that would be pervert that Cole just read. We can't pervert the justice of God. We can't mock the justice of God. He goes on to say, you will always harvest what you plant. But but what often happens, this law of the harvest, the law of planting and harvesting, it gets perverted everywhere around us sometimes. So a parent... Goes to their counselor, and they sit down with their counselor, and they they begin to to tell them what's going on. Um, they say, "I need help for my child, and my child is at college." you know, I'm helping them pay for school, I'm helping them pay for their apartment and their utilities, and I'm helping pay for their car insurance, but my child is failing yet another semester in school. They're overactive in their fraternity, they're drinking too much, they're not going to class, Um, they're playing video games all night long, they're not turning in their assignments, they are failing again. And the parent looks at the counselor and says this, can you help my child?
0: So in this, um, uh, in, in this example that, that we're using, the counselor then asks the question, okay, where's your child at now? Where's he or she at now? And the parent says, well, it's spring break. Obviously, they're on the beach. They're in the Redneck Riviera. They're, they're hanging out you know, down, down on the beach. The counselor says, well, I've got to be honest with you. It appears your child doesn't really have a problem at all. It would appear to me that I think you have a problem. And I feel like the parents right then uh, are going to maybe begin seeing red a little bit. What is it? Uh, yeah, that too. <laughs> what do you mean? What are you talking about? I mean, probably, again, a little bit of tension, a little bit of irritation. What are you talking about? I've got a problem. No, no. He or she has a problem. I don't have a problem. The counselor says, well, let's look at it like this. Your child is failing the semester. They are partying. They're making bad decisions. They're not going to class. They're not turning in their work. They're playing video games when they should be in class. And now, at this moment, you are in here with me. And he or she is at the beach. Sounds to me like they're having a really good time. And yet, here you sit. So, it looks to me like you have all of his problems. It looks to me like you're the one that's worried. It looks to me like you're the one that's having to pay the bills, and you're the one that's having to figure out how to solve not only all of your problems, but also all of their problems. He doesn't have any of those problems. He's on the beach working on his tan.
1: Yeah. So what we're talking about here is what we've drawn on the whiteboard. This right here. This guy over here um, not taking responsibility for what's in his area. He is uh, not going to class, staying up all night playing video games, not turning in his assignments, and so on. There are all the activities happening here, but he's placing all the consequences over here on the parent. They're dealing with everything. The planting is happening here. The harvesting is happening over here. So what we have to do is we have to realign God's created order with the law of the harvest, the law of planting and harvesting. So we're going to have to put some limits, some boundaries. Now, we can't put boundaries on the kid at college because according to God's schedule and of events he is now free to do what he wants to do we can't put boundaries on him we have to get the parent to put some new boundaries around them to reinforce those boundaries because we can't make the child do anything but we have to work on these boundaries God allows the child to do what he's going to do. The parent can only micromanage and manage what is in his area, which includes what is included in here. He can't make the child go to class, can't make the child study, can't make the child turn in assignments, but the parent has the resources. So the parent gets to decide, how am I going to micromanage my resources? And so here's what happens. Possibly if the parent decides to set up some boundaries, the parent says, I I desire to give you these things and to help you out. I desire that. But I will, so here's a parental boundary for this parent here, I will only give you things. Let's put it this way. You send me your grades after the first quarter soon as those grades are released. And if those grades are good, as I know you can, if they're good after the first quarter, then I'm going to send you another check to help you with school, to help you with your rent, to help you with your car insurance and your bills. But, so we're going to micromanage what we can ourselves here, and we have the resources, So, but if the grades are not right...
0: Check's not going to come. You know, you see the upside-down law of planting and harvesting also in abusive marriages. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see that often in, in those abusive marriages because the abused, they just can't get, uh, they can't get out because they either need the approval of the abuser or they, they love or the love of the abuser so much. They need that. That's, they're They're codependent in that way. Or sometimes they're just flat afraid because they've been oppressed for so long. And their boundaries have been mowed down to nothing. It's, they don't even have half of a fence anymore. You know, and you see that very often. And the reason why? Because their no muscle is broken. And maybe more accurately, it's atrophied. It's just withered away because they never, maybe even as a child, they never, uh, or as a, a younger person, they never develop the ability or the, um, the right to say no. I can't do this. And so that no muscle has just atrophied. Um, In the church, unfortunately, we've probably played a role in that. Because very often we've turned the no muscle into a sin. Uh, I think we probably have played a role in some of these lack of boundaries that we have in, in, in in our culture by what's happened in the church. Now, physical abuse happens. There's no question about that. But and, and by the way, uh, numbers would tell us that in a crowd this size, we probably have someone in this room that has experienced some form of physical abuse. But for the most part, most of us probably have not experienced physical abuse. Um, and so maybe that's not a great thing to connect to for many of us. But we have all experienced this differently. Maybe not physical abuse, but maybe we've experienced guilt, being guilted. Maybe, maybe we have experienced being shamed. Maybe we have experienced being manipulated. And people end up feeling like they have to give more and more and more and work way more than they should and do way more than they should as a result of this atrophying of our no muscle.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was 17 years a youth minister before I began church starting. And sometimes you would see it look like this, what you call a helicopter parent. And they kind of they're hovering, they're, you know, over this child's life, looking for the opportunity to sweep down and rescue them or to clear their path so they have an easier go of things. So sometimes it looks like this. And so we it's a parent where we feel like we have to do these things for our kids because they need us. So we're hovering, taking care of things for our kids. And that turns into, when we're doing that, it progresses to where we're a parent, then eventually taking care of assignments and projects for our child who's in high school. And we're taking on the responsibility to do that. And that becomes very easily a parent who takes on the responsibilities. Of a child who's in college. And the parent continues taking care of things in that child's life. Which becomes then a real opportunity for that to turn into a parent who is taking care of things for their adult child. I know a 30-year-old man. He was living three states away from his parents. He was living in an apartment as a 30-year-old 30-year-old man being paid for that apartment paid for by his parents and in this story in this immediate instance he was driving a car that was given to him as a 30-year-old man by his parents and he had a flat tire so he pulls over to the shoulder of the interstate and he pulls out his phone which was also paid for by his parents And he calls his mom. And he says this. Mom, just had a flat. What should I do? Really happened. We have to ask ourselves, how is our no muscle? That muscle in our emotional lives that allows us to say no to someone Am I allowing their consequences, their lack of micromanaging their own lives, their lack of taking responsibility for their own lives, am I allowing that, their consequences, to spill over into my yard? Am I continuing to bail someone
0: out with my money, my time, or my energy? And we've spent a lot of time the last few minutes kind of talking about that parent-child relationship. One reason is because it's relatable. It's a very relatable example. It's an example that a lot of people have experienced. But it goes much bigger than, much broader than this, that specific relationship. It can happen pretty much in any relationship that you have in your life. And the Bible says that we have certain treasures that are ours. Things like our feelings and our thoughts and our love, and our desire, and our attitudes, and our behavior. We have certain treasures that are ours that we, like we talked about a few moments ago, freedom in Christ, we have the ability to micromanage those things. We're the manager, and as a result, the manager has control of those treasures. Now, please do not misunderstand this morning, we're not saying that we should never say yes.
1: Right. We
0: are in no ways trying to say that the no muscle is the only muscle that should get work. Absolutely, we should sh- say yes. Um, because we've been called to lay down our lives to give and to sacrifice as followers of Jesus. We, we should say yes. But nothing is to be stolen from us those treasures that we have control of, our feelings, our thoughts, our love, our desires, our attitudes, our behaviors. Nothing should be stolen from us. We're not supposed to give and to sacrifice to irresponsibility and to sin. That, that's actually, that's not giving. We're supposed to give to the needy. No doubt about it. But we're not supposed to give to the irresponsible. First Thessalonians, Paul writes to uh, the Christ followers, his first letter to the Christ followers in the city of Thessalonica, Paul In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, he says, And we exhort you. Who's we? We's kind of the the, the leadership and and the the people like Paul. We exhort you, brothers. So, followers of Jesus, we exhort you, brothers. Warn those who are irresponsible. Warn them. Let them know. Tell them. Help them. Give them help that is going to help them not be irresponsible. Warn those who who are irresponsible. But then Paul goes on. He says, Comfort the discouraged, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. See, with the exception of love and patience, we don't treat everybody the same. And at Stuttgart Harvest Church, that is a fact. We love and uh, and we have patience. We are called to have love and patience for everybody regardless, period. That's the end of it. That's the end of the book. That's the end of the chapter. But everything else, we don't treat everybody the same. We don't give everyone the same things. Some we give help. Some we give help in different ways, tangibly, definitely. Some some people, we are going to give help. But some people, we're going to give help through confrontation, through that first part of that letter, warn those who are irresponsible. We're going to give help that way. We'll give Everything that we possibly can to someone who is broken, someone who is needy, and someone who is oppressed we will we will move as far as we can possibly move in those scenarios. but if someone's not taking responsibility for themselves, someone is stealing from those treasures that other that we have some people uh, if you're stealing from someone's time someone's energy, and someone's resources we're just We're not going to give to that.
1: Right. Now God has some principles of giving and what I'm getting ready to read is speaking specifically of the principle of giving your treasure, giving your money, but I believe it applies to all of these areas as well. So we're going kind of, to kind of let that spill over into the other treasures that we have. So here is God's principle of giving, one of those that we see in the New Covenant, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. So it's like, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to give, and this is what I'm going to say no to. So here is my micromanaging this treasure that God has given me, and here are my boundaries, yes to this, no to this. God has called me to have this self-control. And to manage, as Cole said, Jesus said, manage that yes and manage that no. So he goes on to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So reluctantly. So he says, don't give reluctantly. In other words, I'm not. if I'm giving of my time and my resources, my energy, if I'm giving reluctantly, I'm not giving. I'm giving in. I'm not giving, I'm giving in. And when I give in, every time something inside, I'm going to hold a grudge because I gave in. And he said, not under compulsion. Now, when it speaks of our time and our energy, our resources, listen, I don't need anyone for my life on the outside trying to to give under compulsion, because let me tell you, I've got enough compulsion inside my own head that tells me, oh Harley, if you don't say yes to this, you're bad. You're bad. You're a bad person if you say no. So how many times have we seen people in the Bible and then people around us in life who have missed out on God because they couldn't God and say yes to everything? You are not the whole neighborhood in this drawing. You're not the whole neighborhood. You're just one person with your own property and your own boundaries. But in our fallen state, this this part got me here for me. In In our fallen state, we want the omnis. We want to be omnipresent. We feel like we should be omnipresent. To be around, to do everything. But the truth is, I can't be everywhere and do everything for the people that I feel like I should. But I wanna be omnipresent and I wanna be omnipotent. I wanna be able to control everything, to have the power just to make things happen the way they would need, I feel like they need to happen so everything would be okay. I wanna be omnipotent. But I can't control if my kid wants to study or not, or go to school or go to class. I can't. If they're away at college and they're learning how to do it, I can't control that. I can only control what's in my yard, my resources. And I can control the requirements in order for them to get those resources. I also want to be omniscient. I I want to know how to figure it all out. I feel like I should be able to figure it all out for my kids. I am not, and I have to come to terms with this, I am not going to be everything to anyone, anyone at all. That's God's job. I just need to be the person that God has called me to be. And it starts by me learning how to say no to what I am not. My dad grew up on a very poor dairy farm in western Oklahoma. And his mom set the agenda and it was, you're going to grow up, go to college, come back, and you're going to run the dairy farm. While my dad was away at college, God called him to be a pastor. Guess what? He had to go home and tell his mom, I can't run the dairy farm. God has called me to be a pastor. And that created this lifelong friction between him and his mom where his mom for the rest of his life brought it up and held it over him and really just kind of uh, trampled over him because of that decision of him saying yes to what God had called him to do.
0: You know, the Bible... Nowhere does it say, blessed are the doormats, for they shall inherit a good stomping. Hmm. It doesn't say that. It never says um, that as a follower of Jesus, we're supposed to be a pushover. Um, We really don't teach that enough uh, in the church. We don't teach enough um, for people not to tolerate bad behavior. We we really, in fact, I, I think it would seem that somewhere along the way we have instead taught that it's actually very spiritual to tolerate bad behavior, and to be a doormat. It's like we have taught that it's spiritual for me to allow someone to dump the consequences of their actions in my backyard on my property, cross my boundary, and hey, deal with it. It's like we've taught that somewhere. David, I think, it's interesting, I think we could sum up this entire morning with what David said in the 101st Psalm. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's eight verses, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. this is what David said on this topic. And then again, this is a paraphrase. David said, there's just a bunch of junk I'm not going to put up with. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's the paraphrase, but that's really, that's what the 100, read it. That's what the 101st Psalm says. There's a bunch of stuff out there going on that I'm just not going to deal with. it. I'm not going to put up with it. I'm not going to allow it to be dumped in my backyard. I'm just not going to do it. David said, easy access to me. I'm not going to get people who are perverse easy access to me. I'm not going to give people who are manipulative easy access to me. People that cheat, people who are haughty, people who are narcissistic, people uh, who are very, very judgmental. I'm not going to give liars easy access to me. I'm just not doing it. That's junk that I'm not going to deal with. I'm not going to have it in my backyard. I'm not going to let people come into my backyard and treat me that way. That's pretty much what the 101st Psalm says. Now, do we need people? Absolutely. Oh, the first two weeks of this series was all about connection and attachment and secure attachment and the bonding that we need as being a part of the body of Christ. Do we need people? No question about it. But, David very clearly says, hey, I'm going to keep my distance from hurtful people. And instead, I'm just going to keep those that give life. That's who, this, that's who I'm going to keep close. Yeah. There's actually two
1: paths to God. And it involves love and righteousness. And as we look in the New Covenant, there is a right and righteous way for us to actually love other people. And taking abuse, allowing things in our, in our yard that should be in someone else's yard... That is not the way to love someone. Love actually kind of has some laws as we look through the new covenant. And we get in trouble when we divide love and righteousness and we separate them. They go together. God wants us to speak the truth in love. The truth in love. Righteousness and love. I'm going to encourage you this week to go read Matthew chapter 18. And... We have some rules for loving people. So we have a neighbor that tries to come into my property and hurt me or take advantage of me or leave their consequences in my yard. I'm not supposed to run next door to their property and burn their house down. I'm not supposed to. I have been
0: with my temper. Be careful, this is being recorded. Yeah. Don't say you've burned a house down.
1: No, I haven't. I've never (laughs) burned a house down, but I have run into other people's emotional property, and I have reacted. I have. I'm not supposed to jump over there and go burn their house down. That's not the way God designed it. He gave us some rules, some ways to how we use this love and righteousness. You're supposed to go to that person in private. So here's a boundary. You go in private and you say, hey, listen, that that wasn't cool. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with those consequences coming to my yard. I'm not okay with that behavior that's impacting me. I'm not okay with that. Now, if they are wise, then they'll hear you. Problem solved. But as you look at Matthew 18, you find out that boundaries get even more firm. They are progressive. They grow. Because if they don't respond to that, do you know what? What do you do? Do you try to talk them into it? Do you try to convince them of how this is the right way and this is the logical way? Do you try to make them love you more or love you better? Do you go buy them gifts? Do you try to do favors for them? Do you just keep trying and trying again and telling them, well, next time and next time and next time? No, that's not what you do. According to Matthew 18, you get a friend. So here we go, it's progressing. You get a friend, and you go back to them with this friend. And it progresses as you read Matthew 18. Ultimately, it leads to, if it continues to progress, the boundary leads to an intervention. And at that point, you're saying, if you're not going to get sober, you can't live here anymore. Or if you're not going to control your anger, I'm not going to live here anymore. It's the progressive setting of boundaries as we see it in Matthew 18. Now, okay, as we wrap this up, we're bringing this plane in for a landing, Cole. This has been good information. It has been good for me. But now what?
0: Yeah, so one of the things here at Stuttgart Harvest Church that we put at a very, very high level Level of importance is relevant, practical Bible teaching. If you can't walk out of here this morning and feel like you got something relevant for your day-to-day life based on what we're experiencing now that is practical and that you can put into action this week, we, we feel like we failed. We, we believe that is a faith catalyst. That's something that makes our faith grow as practical Bible teaching. And that's the reason every week we say next steps and we say hey do this, do this, do this, because it's practical. These are things. The reason we're doing this entire series is because it is uh, it it is relevant to our culture right and, now. And we felt the personal. And it was a name. felt yeah. need. Oh man. That's the reason we're in this series. so so what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with you? Well, first, this is what we would encourage you to do. And not not Think about doing or consider doing. We're talking maybe do it as quick as, do it this afternoon. Do it tomorrow. This is the practical aspect. If you're overspent, if you're depleted, if you feel like that you have to say yes to everything, and every time somebody comes up to you and asks a question or has a request or says, I need you to do this, I need you to do that, I need, you have to say yes. You are a compulsive yeser in that scenario. Do this. Do this this week. Find someone. In your circle, find someone who can coach you and can help you to figure out what you should say yes to and what you should say no to. Find someone in your circle who can coach you to micromanage your yeses, but also micromanage your nos.
1: All right. That's good. Now here's an additional thing for us. Maybe you have someone who is just grinding away at your life and you're allowing it to keep going. If that's me and I'm allowing someone to grind away at my life, I am being a bad manager of myself and my my property, you know, my boundaries, what I'm in control of. I'm being a bad manager of myself. Now, Paul instructed one of his young men that he coached, Titus, here's what he said to Titus. He said, Titus, listen, reject, reject a divisive person after the second warning. Now, maybe that's not just good advice for a young church leader who is a pastor named Titus. Maybe that's good advice for us in our life in general. Maybe we need to pay attention to that. A divisive person that is just grinding away at our life. Maybe we need to step away from them. Maybe we need to love that person from a distance. Maybe we need to set a boundary and we're just saying, hey, not, not this, no, not, not in my backyard. Maybe we don't need to put up with that. If you have the ability, we don't all have that ability, take them off your team. But if you can't take them off your team, find a way to step back and love them from a distance, not in your own backyard. Now this next step, this is for all of us. We're going to ask you simply to do this because this is so much information I'm having to go over this over and over and over and over again for myself. I'm going to ask you, would you just listen to this teaching again, either from SoundCloud or the Facebook Live or YouTube version? Will you just listen to this again? But as you listen to it, Every time that Cole or I referenced a verse or even said, hey, Paul said this or Jesus said this, we may not have given you the verse, but will you Google that? Every time we referenced a verse, will you go back and read the actual verse and the verses that we did have on the screen? Will you go back and read those over and over again several times this week? And have a conversation with God about what He has written in His Scriptures. And lastly, I would say this. If you need more help, please read Dr. Cloud's book called Boundaries. It's by Dr. Cloud and Dr. Townsend, and it's called Boundaries. Please read that if you need more help. Depression, anxiety, addiction relationship problems. These are symptoms of something that is happening deeper in our lives. This is fruit, and it's negative and hurtful and harmful and painful fruit. But somewhere deep inside of us, there are some realities that we need to work through and deal with. And as we learn how to have healthy boundaries, it's a long process, but our fruit and the symptoms in our life will also begin to change, too. And I hope that you will continue to join us on this journey. We have two more powerful, powerful weeks of this series, and I hope you will be a part of it. Let's pray. Let's talk to God. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us with our boundaries. God, we know we need to say yes. Help us know when to say yes. And God, we know there are times we need to say no, and we need your help to know when to say no. When to distance myself from a person who is just grinding away at my life. But then, God, I need... Help knowing when to allow that person closer. God, I need your wisdom. And you told us if we just asked that you would send it our way. Heavenly Father, as I and my friends, many of my friends read these verses again this week, I ask you this. Would you teach me in direct proportion to how seriously... I reflect on your words. And Jesus, I ask you to do this in my life. And I have many friends here asking the same thing today. And Jesus, it is in your name that we pray these things.